So our first reading, uh, taken from Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass for him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Okay, the second part of the reading is taken from Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. 
We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days will build another, not made by man. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his robes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him closely. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the cock crowed the second time. And then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. I was uh, trying to find a definition for the word denial. And say that again. A river in Egypt, do you know you took it from me? I was going to say, and the thing that came up first was denial is more than a river in Egypt. And I thought I can't possibly say it, share that, because it's far too cheesy. But there we are, shared it anyway. But denial, denial is something we all do from time to time. And the passage we're looking at this morning is no different. This event in history is one of real grief and sorrow, and it's one that so many people have heard of, yet so many people ignore. Jesus was betrayed, flogged, falsely tried, and then crucified. And at the same time, some of his closest followers, his 12 disciples, well, they deserted him. And Peter, who is the disciple we've been looking at for the past few weeks, well, he blatantly denied knowing Jesus three times, just as was predicted. Everyone deserted Jesus on the way to the cross, everyone. And this event shows us the depths of human failure. Who knows what was going on in Peter's mind as this story unfolded? None of us can really say. But I suppose he might have been a bit confused about what was going on around him. Let's imagine the scenario. Everyone was on their way to the high priest's house for the trial of Jesus of Nazareth. He went there with the others to the courtyard, and he probably sat down by the fire to keep warm. 
There'll have been loads of other people who were there too, waiting for this trial to happen. Some will have been the household staff of the high priest. Some will have been personal attendants of the council. Some were simply witnesses waiting to be called to give their evidence for the trial. And there wouldn't have been much they could do apart from wait and chat and sit and wait together. Yes, some of them will have been called to go and give their version of events. But other than that, I reckon they'd have just stood around and talked. And it's not long before a servant girl looks over at Peter and she says, I know where I've seen you before. You were with that Nazareth, um, Nazarene guy, Jesus, or words to those effect. And this was Peter's first opportunity to do or not do as had been predicted. He could have said he knew Jesus, but of course he didn't. I've not got a clue what you're talking about, is what he pretty much replied. I mean, it wouldn't do anyone any good if Peter got arrested too, would it? So he made his way to the gateway and waited there. And it was there that his second opportunity to stand up for his faith, to stand up for Jesus, came his way. There was a group of people stood talking, and then one of them called over, you're one of them, right? There'd be no point changing his tune now, though, would there? So again, Peter denied it. But then some others come over and said, we know you're a Galilean, we can tell you're one of them, so we know you're a follower of Jesus. After denying Jesus twice already, there's no way he could admit it now. Just denying it wasn't even enough, because clearly he'd not been convincing. So this time we're told that he cursed and swore as well. He did what he needed to do to persuade them that he had nothing to do with this man, Jesus. And then, well, we know what happened next. The cock crowed again. It had already crowed once, and here it was for a second time, just as Jesus had said it would happen. I wonder if that moment Peter remembered what he'd said to Jesus. I wonder if he remembered saying that, or more to the point, what Jesus had said to him. Because Jesus had said to him, I tell you the truth, Peter, Today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And I wonder if he'd remembered how passionately he'd responded by saying, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Now, they were bold words and easy to say when things were going well, when there was no hint of danger in the air and everything looked like it was going smoothly. But when it came to it, he didn't even stand up to a servant girl, for goodness sake. And so Peter took off, away from the questioners, away from the trial, away from Jesus, and he broke down in tears. That must have been a horrible night, and I'm sure you'll agree that's a massive understatement. This man, Peter, denied knowing Jesus. And this reminds us of the power of sin. This reminds us how every single one of us could be caught up in it. Peter denied Jesus whilst the trial was taking place. These things happened whilst he was being cruelly treated by the court. Peter denied Jesus when he should have been standing up to him. For him, rather. Now we think we could never do this. Yet Peter denied Jesus despite his relationship with him. 
So let's just think about what that relationship was. Peter was there from the start. He was one of his first disciples. He'd followed him for years and he dedicated his life to learning from him and to working with him. He witnessed the healing of his own mother-in-law. He, Peter's mother-in-law had been ill and he was there when Jesus healed her. He knew from that and many, many other miracles that Jesus performed that he truly was the son of God, like he said. Peter also got on the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. The disciples were in a boat and Jesus called out to them. And Peter, being Peter, ended up stepping out of the boat and making his way towards Jesus before sinking into the sea by losing his focus. And Peter had been there at the transfiguration. He saw Jesus with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. He'd witnessed this and many, many other amazing events. And if Peter, after knowing him and being with him through all that, if he can deny Jesus, well, we find that difficult to accept, don't we? I mean, we can accept the fact that Judas betrayed Jesus because we just write him off as a betrayer, as a traitor, and that's that. But Peter, well, that's a bit harder to come to terms with, isn't it? He's one of us. And if he can mess up so spectacularly, then so can we. But like I said, we don't know what's going on in Peter's mind, but let's think about things that might have led to his denial. What things can we learn from what happened? I wonder if there was a little bit of pride in Peter. He boasted that he would never deny Jesus. Not him, the others might, but not him. He proudly announced that if everybody else left Jesus, then he wouldn't. Of course, it wouldn't be him. It seems as though he might have been a little overconfident in himself there, don't you think? And I wonder if that's why later on in his letters, Peter himself urged people to be humble, to clothe themselves in humility before God. Peter learned the hard way about the danger of pride, but we can learn from Peter and make sure we don't make the same mistakes. And pride probably wasn't the only struggle that Peter faced. Peter hadn't been alert. He and the other disciples couldn't stay awake when Jesus was praying in the garden. Maybe they were just overcome by exhaustion. We don't know, but when they were needed to be watchful, they were found sleeping. And this lack of alertness left him unprepared. And the same can be true of us. So often we drift away from Jesus because we're too busy doing other things. And again, this is something that Peter later instructs Christians to be. He calls for diligence that we might grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus. Are we as diligent as we might be? Do we really study the Bible and spend time in prayer as we should? If the answer is no, then it's harder to stand up for Jesus when the opportunity presents itself. And the other thing Peter did, which we're capable of, is that he gave in to his fears. He followed Jesus at a distance. And yes, he still followed him, but it was at a distance. Now that Jesus was unpopular, he stayed far away so as not to be noticed and not to be associated with him, and therefore not to suffer the persecution and the consequences. And I reckon, I don't know for sure, but I reckon it will have been fear that kept him 
at a distance because fear can be a crippling thing. And sometimes we might find ourselves with very good intentions, but we're just not willing to stand up for our faith as we should because at least on some level, we might be afraid. I bet that's something we can all relate to at one point in our lives or other. And linked with that, Peter gave in to the world. He was influenced by the world around him. He was influenced by what people would think or say or do. He was ashamed to be seen with Jesus. And it was much easier to mingle with the others and pretend to have nothing to do with him. So he kept his distance and he mixed with the other people while he waited for the trial to be over. And again, Peter later in his letters calls us to be separate from the world. In 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12, we're told to abstain from fleshly lusts with honourable conduct among the nations. And we're told later on as well to be found in Christ, in, uh, found by Christ in peace without blemish and to be blameless. Peter put himself in a situation where he could be influenced to deny Jesus. We all have the capability to do wrong, but we don't need to put ourselves in a place where it can easily happen. And there's lots of things that we can learn from what happened that night, lots of things that Peter can teach us. Instead of letting pride take over, we need to be humble. Instead of not being alert, we should be ready and willing and diligent. Instead of being afraid, we should be bold and be able to stand up for what we believe. And instead of being people of this world, we should live as strangers in it. And you know, we might think we're never going to do what Peter did. We never deny Jesus. But ultimately, all of the stuff that we do wrong is a denial of Jesus in some way. A Christian, as a Christian, we said that we believe in Jesus and we accept forgiveness of sins through him. And essentially, we're saying Jesus is enough for us. But when we sin, we're saying Jesus is not enough. There's something I want more, something more attractive and appealing, and I want it. So every sin we commit is in some way us denying that we truly know Jesus. And we can make excuses for most things, can't we? We can justify what we did. But when we sin, we miss out on God's best for us. And then we're denying Jesus. And sin leads to more sin. Think of it this way. What if the first time Peter had been asked if he knew Jesus, he'd have answered honestly? What if he'd have said, yes, you're right, I've been with him, I followed him for years, and I still am with him? I wonder how things would have turned out. But he didn't, and so that made the second time even more difficult for him to acknowledge him. There were more of them, for one thing, but the third time would have been even harder again. Each time was a chance to do what he knew to be right, but each time it was harder to go back. And sin is like that. The stuff we do wrong is like that. It's progressive. Once we've compromised the first time, it's so much easier to compromise again, and it's so much harder to stop. Staying strong the first time is what makes the difference. Of course, there is a way back for us all, but until we grasp the way in which we really have sinned, until we go to the cross, acknowledging that we've messed up and relying totally on Jesus and not on ourselves, then we'll carry on as before. I read uh, something that puts it like this. It said, 
The Christian faith is not a game of let's pretend. Let's pretend our sin is just a weakness. Let's pretend we're all okay, really. The sort of uh, words that the people of the world use all the time. In fact, of all the world's great belief systems, ours is the only one that allows us to be honest about how we really are. Corrupt, sinful, rebellious, and enemies of God who made us. We can be honest about what we are because we have the only really good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, our saviour. We come to the cross knowing that we've messed up, but we come to the cross knowing that we have a saviour who will forgive us. And you know, Peter might have done things differently. He could have stayed awake in the garden instead of falling asleep. He could have said that he knew Jesus instead of denying him, but he didn't. And the most amazing thing about this whole thing is that that wasn't the end for Peter. Jesus didn't cast him aside after that. In fact, he was the rock on which he built his church. And so that makes this whole thing a promise of hope. Because no matter how much we mess up, there is always a way back. That's not to say we can carry on messing up and messing up and it's all good, but that Jesus will forgive us. There's nothing that he will not forgive. And while Peter was so dismally failing in his own test, Jesus was victorious in his. Whilst Peter lost the battle in Gethsemane, Jesus was winning the war. And that is our hope. Because what Jesus did on the cross is not dependent on us in the slightest. It's not He didn't die on the cross because we're good people and we deserve it and we're worth it or anything like that. Quite the opposite. And that's the thing with grace. We don't deserve it. We might think Peter didn't deserve a second chance or a third chance or however many chances he got. But Jesus forgave him just as he forgives us. Jesus paid the price for the stuff that we've done wrong. And against our record of sin and failure stands his perfect record of holiness and obedience. Every outbreak of anger, every time we tell a lie, be it a white one, every time we hate someone or we're impatient, then that's um, outmatched by his love, by his integrity, by his peace and his purity and his patience, which is perfectly pleasing to God. At the cross, those two records are exchanged. He got my sin and took the penalty and suffered on the cross. And we got his perfection, his obedience, his nobility credited to us at the cross. That's why this event, which is so horrific, Jesus is one of his disciples who'd followed him for years, denying him and pretending he had nothing to do with him. Actually, it makes it full of hope because that wasn't the end. And the end, it's not the end for us because on the cross, there's restoration. On the cross, there is promise of forgiveness. On the cross, there is a way back to Jesus, whatever we've done wrong. And on the cross, there is a promise of hope. Let's pray together.